Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Blending the smooth, creamy nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York. This is Greg Olson, and I'm thrilled to introduce my new podcast, TE1. TE1 will chronicle a 60-year evolution of the tight end position, from its origins as an obscure, overlooked blocking role to the versatile superstar position that it is today. I'll explore the evolution of the position through conversations with some of the all-time game-changing tight ends. And just like the incredible tight ends we sit down with on my new show, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. This truck is all about grit, strength, and dependability. The same attributes it takes to be a tight end. Blue wire. The Philadelphia 76ers select Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons. Here comes Simmons between the legs. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the New Slant Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Newbeck. This week, our podcast being brought to you by our friends at DoorDash and Bet Online. So, thank you to both those wonderful companies helping to keep our lights on. With me, as always, trying to figure out who he's rooting for in an NBA Finals featuring one of the most historically annoying franchises and the guy who left the Sixers at the altar last summer. My friend, my pal, Seamus Clancy. Seamus, how are you? Doing well. The choice is clear in my mind, but we will get to that towards the end of the podcast. Yeah, that's a uh, a discussion for later on down the line. The most pressing news in Sixers world as we speak is the, I can't even say impending, is the, the free agency of head coach Doc Rivers, who parted ways you know, quote-unquote, parted ways with the Los Angeles Clippers uh, on Monday, let's say Monday evening, I'd say, Monday late afternoon. And not only has he parted ways with the Clippers, I was told and other reliable reporters have already put out there that the Sixers have reached out to Doc Rivers, that he is being considered a, a serious candidate for the open Sixers coaching position. So I guess the first thing I'd have to ask you about Doc Rivers, Seamus, uh, where do you have him ranked in the triumvirate of D'Antoni, Lou, and Rivers? Because I think it's clear they're the three, like, quote-unquote, real candidates right now. And I guess why do you have him where you do? I still have Lou number one. I'm still very pro-Lou. In a way, I, again, we've we've said this in the past. I like the idea of having a younger coach, someone who could probably relate to the players a little bit more at the same time, someone who still has a very high X's and O's acumen and has shown in the past to have success in managing some big personalities and star talent on a team, uh, maybe the most uh, contentious star ever in LeBron James. And obviously they won championship in 2016 with Cleveland. Now, Doc is someone who I would still be a fan of. Also, the intriguing subplot of how Mark Zumoff will call him Glenn Rivers the entire season is worth mentioning <laughs> as well. It's only uh, one doctor in Philadelphia. Yeah, it seems like, in a way, the older version of Lou, uh, someone who's an ex-player, someone who seems to be a player's coach, players like, uh, as long as the you know their players aren't cheating on their daughters, and that's an entirely different discussion with uh, PG. Uh, 
Hopefully Austin Rivers wouldn't come here too, but honestly, maybe he's an upgrade on the over the players we have, or the Sixers have. I shouldn't say Wade. But I yeah, like, I don't even think this is a hot take that Austin Rivers would be the best guard the Sixers have. Yeah, and it's also easily. just the the annoying aspect of having the coaches on the team. We, we have enough issues already with uh, right. family members in this organization, so I want to keep steer clear of that as as much as possible. No more nepotism. Yeah, nepotism needs to uh, take a hike. Uh, but still, he he has the the qualities you would like in a coach for this type of franchise. That has a winning pedigree, has a history of managing stars together, and the thing that caused brings me cause for concern and still keeps him below Lou for me is you know uh, the Clippers kind of just blew up in uh, spectacular fashion uh, earlier in the playoffs, much earlier than I expected. I, I thought they would win, you know, go to the NBA Finals before the season, a team that would you know might have been the front runner for the championship alongside the other LA team. So that gives me pause, but at the same time. Uh, I still think he's a very, very, very good coach. And, you know, compared to, you know, a lot of the cast of coaches outside in the NBA right now, definitely a good decision. Definitely an upgrade over Brett Brown, in my opinion. That also brings us to uh, Mike D'Antoni, and we could get into kind of a larger discussion with him later on. But he would be third for me right now, given at the moment, at the moment, uh, the Sixers' current roster construction. Yeah, so uh, we are mostly in sync here, Seamus. I, I think like you brought up the, the Clippers collapse this year. I think what made that especially eyebrow-raising for me is that when you have a base of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, you can essentially build a, a lineup and a rotation and a roster in any way that you want, right? Like that's about as flexible as you're going to get on the wing. They can defend anybody. They can, for the most part, score against anybody. And so like the, it's not that difficult to construct a, a winning group around them. I know there are challenges with, you know, building cohesion with Kawhi, not playing back to backs and, and so on and so forth. But that, that team just had no real identity. They had a lot of the problems with uh, rotation decisions, uh, defensive mix-ups, so on and so forth, that I think ultimately doomed the Sixers in the end, too. And that gives me some concern. But I do think if you're looking at the profile of you know, like a leader and a guy that is going to bring some stability to the organization... I think Doc is really good in that respect. And sure. I think what sets him apart from uh, Ty Lue, who I still, I agree with you, I believe Ty Lue is probably, would be my number one pick if you're asking me to hire the coach. I think what separates Doc is that he has more of a history of, you know, working with teams that are built, if not if not exclusively around big men, at least like predominantly around big men. Like the Kevin Garnett was the best player on the 08 Celtics team. And I, I think something that goes undersold about that time period is that Doc was the guy that got Kevin Garnett to buy into playing full-time center. Now that didn't happen in the title year. It didn't even happen in the, you know, 09-10 where – Oh nine, they probably would have won back-to-back titles if Garnett hadn't gotten hurt, and ten, they end up losing in Game Seven in the finals. But as Kevin Garnett was aging, Rivers is the guy who finally got Garnett to concede like 
you're not a power forward anymore and we need you to be like our full-time starting center and that gave the Celtics you know another lease on life they pushed the Miami Heat to seven games in 2012 and if not for LeBron playing what I think is his best game of all time in game sure. six of that series. Maybe the Celtics make another finals, despite, you know, that group was kind of on its beyond its last legs, as we saw the round before against the Sixers. So I think he has his, like DeAndre Jordan played his best basketball under him. Obviously, a lot of that comes down to, you know, having Chris Paul as the, the lob pick and roll partner. But Doc Rivers certainly was able to facilitate that and I think another thing is that he's the guy who got the career best out of Tobias Harris and he's coming here and he brings all that pedigree and all the leadership qualities like he's the he's a player's coach without being a pushover right like you hear guys say that they love playing for him but historically I don't think he is a coach that has like undisciplined teams I I think this Clippers team this year in the playoffs was an exception to that rule I would be scared by the fact that he has lost not one not two but three three one leads in the playoffs now he's the only coach who has overseen more than one of those now one of those is in charge of the Tracy McGrady magic so that's like a whole nother basketball lifetime ago at this point but you know his, his struggles to make uh, high-end adjustments, high-impact adjustments in the playoffs uh, are, are pretty self-evident at this point, and, and that would scare me. But I think if you're talking about a guy who comes in and just like on paper makes sense for the, what they need in, as a leader and what they need in terms of a match with the guys that they already have on hand, I think he's got a case. He's got a case for the best guy. I don't think he is the best guy, but I think he's at worst he's 2A 2B with D'Antoni. And I would put him ahead of D'Antoni at this point in my rankings. I don't know that that's where the Sixers will end up, but that's how I see it. So would you still bank on it being Lou? Do you see Lou being to me, as much as I prefer Lou for the Sixers job, he seems like a natural fit for to be elevated and move his seat over, become the Clippers' new head coach. So I agree with you there, uh, I and I have written as much. The one thing that gives me pause there is that Ty Lue is extremely close with Doc Rivers. And when I say extremely close, I'm pretty sure there have been reports, or he might have outright said, that if he had taken the Los Angeles Lakers job where he was going to be a crosstown rival with Doc Rivers that he still would have consulted with Doc for like you know coaching advice and general advice and so there's part of me that wonders you know is he going to take that job if it's offered to him I don't know that for sure but but yeah I I think that's the big that's almost the biggest the, the bigger development here than Rivers being a potential candidate for the Sixers is that You know, I think Philadelphia probably had, I don't want to say a ton of leverage, but they had some leverage before in terms of being able to haggle with Lou a little bit and and dangle the D'Antoni thing and say, hey, we're really interested in this guy. We might be able to get that guy to come down on on contract demands. Well, if you're Ty Lou, and, and we've talked about this some in the past, Seamus, head coaches are looking at where can I win? Where is the best chance for me to win? right now like they know their shelf lives are generally they're they're not going to last very long and 
so Ty Lu looks at okay, um, is it a better bet that I win in LA with Kawhi and PG in their primes and the other pieces that are there, or is it more likely I'm going to win in Philadelphia? Like to me, I think even if it's just the one year, and it might just be the one year because Kawhi and Paul George can both leave after this year. I think the Clippers have a much more realistic chance to go after a title next year. And I think that's the biggest carrot to dangle in front of any of, the, any of these candidates. And, and that certainly makes things more complicated for Philly. Yeah, you'd be dense to think the Sixers is a more intriguing option to, to be a coach and to be wanting to work for this organization, this ownership group, this front office, on top of the wonkiness of this roster construction currently as well as the rest of the compared to the rest of the town in the Eastern Conference right now. It just doesn't make any sense. Like if you're up if you're a coach, why wouldn't you go to the Clippers? Right. And again, it could be legitimately a one year title window there. But Which is this fine. is like the, the Sixers situation, I don't know that there is a title window. Yeah, there right is now. no window. One, I'd rather have one year window than a negative fifteen year window. Right. Like it, they have to do a lot of showing and proving to even justify the idea of having a title window. There's just it's it's a lot of, you know, wish crafting at that point. You have to hope mm-hmm. that the Elton Brand is going to make the right trade and that they're going to make the right hires under him. Here's another subplot related to that, Seamus. And and this this works in the Sixers' favor in terms of being able to hire somebody, but ultimately might be to the detriment of the franchise. I, I think if you're talking about Doc Rivers, who's a guy that when he went to L.A. had a bunch of player personnel say, which has decreased over time, he's leaving the Clippers now and he interviews with the Sixers and they have this situation where Elton Brand appears like he's going to be in charge, that the hirings they're going to make and potential firings are going to be made underneath Brand. Doc Rivers might look at that situation and say, hey, this is unique in that I might be able to have more say on a good team in the front office. Like he's not going to Houston. Like if if Houston was interested in Doc Rivers, for example, he's not going there and overruling Daryl Morey. Like that's not, he's not going to New Orleans who just hired David Griffin last year and overruling David Griffin. Like that, that's not going to happen. It might happen in Philadelphia and it might make it easier to hire you know, Rivers, or maybe even one of these other guys. I don't know how much Lou or D'Antoni even have interest in that sort of thing because they don't have that that sort of history. But that's ultimately only really a good thing in terms of, you know, drawing someone there, not in the long-term sustainability and success of the franchise. Well, to me, wouldn't you want to hire him even less at that point? I get why he would want more roster control, but given that the Sixers front office is entirely a clusterfuck already, how does having another guy in there, another guy whose goals are at odds with what a general manager and a front office should be looking to the future, isn't that just more chaos on top of chaos if he comes in here and then gets some sort of say in the front office, but we don't know exactly what he, say he has, who's in charge, who's to blame. Ned Cohen and Alex Rucker, rat fucks, are still here. I feel like that's a recipe for disaster. I agree with you. I, I don't think, and again, we've beaten this dead sure. horse a ton, but 
to me, the solution is clear. There has to be a true president of basketball operations. I'm not even saying that can't be Elton Brand, but you cannot go through with this offseason and say, Elton will continue to be the GM. We're going to shuffle some guys in and out underneath him, but no one is ultimately that like real lead guy, like the I'm in control of the organization. Like it doesn't seem like they're willing to go there. And that's a problem. Like that's just not how it gets done. You can have like, for example, look at the Clippers team that Doc Rivers is leaving, right? They have Lawrence Frank, who essentially was the guy who took more power and responsibility when Doc was, I don't want to say demoted, but when he conceded some of the player personnel authority after some struggles there. Yeah. So Lawrence Frank takes over. They still have somebody like Jerry West consulting in the front office. You can have big voices and collaborative decisions made. Doc Rivers still had a voice in that front office. But ultimately, there needs to be like the buck stops with this guy. And the Sixers don't have that. I don't know that they're going to have that without Brand unless they take the step to promote him or unless they hire somebody over him that is like one of these big names, the Daryl Morey's, the Bob Myers, the Donnie Nelson's, whoever, that are like their, you know, pie in the sky type candidates that they allegedly want to go after. Okay, if you show me that and you go bring in one of those guys, I'm I have much more confidence to hire somebody like a Doc Rivers and make the best use of him. Without that and without some kind of chain of command uh, alteration here moving forward, I just I don't know. I'm I'm just I can continue to be skeptical that any of this is going to work. It's not. So just cut to the <laughs> chase. It's not gonna, it's not going to work. Yeah, so all that to say, I I think Doc is another... Like, look, here's the positive for Sixers people. This is a good field of candidates. Like, they they fired Brett. They fired Brett at a good time because they're in a normal year, you're not going to have three potential candidates like Ty Lue, D'Antoni, and Doc Rivers, all with potential interest in your job and with you being able to, to hire them without any you know nonsense having a trade to get guys out of contracts whatever like that's a big deal that's it's good timing for them none of it's going to matter if they don't make the right decision and they don't you know clear things up uh, from the top down but they are they're in a better position than they would have been had they made this decision in other years i think definitely Uh, So we're going to take a quick break, talk about our sponsors, and then we'll be right back to talk some more about Mike D'Antoni and our old pal, Jimmy Butler. So you guys have counted on restaurants, and now they're counting on you. A lot of dining rooms may still be closed, but they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. I know I've told you guys this before, but DoorDash has been great for me throughout the, the pandemic times, the I don't even know what to call this anymore. We're not in lockdown. It's not quite quarantine. But as we're living through this COVID-19 induced nightmare, DoorDash has been a way for me to be able to support local businesses, to go to, to or eat food from restaurants that are have their dining rooms closed that I'm not able to go to that I really miss as everything in our lives is being screwed up. 
And sometimes when I'm feeling lazy, I can still go to chain restaurants, national restaurants, you know, the, the Chipotle's of the world, the Wendy's. I've gotten a few uh, Popeye spicy chicken sandwiches over the last six months, probably a few too many uh, for my waistline, but you know, it is what it is. And, and DoorDash has made it really easy. You choose what you want to eat, your food's left safely outside your door with contactless delivery, contactless delivery drop-off setting. And I will tell you, I have never had a single issue with that. They send texts, they send calls, they'll buzz your building, and they put it exactly where you asked for. And, you know, with everyone, you know, obviously worried about coronavirus and getting sick and all that stuff they've done an excellent job of all that so right now our listeners can get five dollars off and zero delivery fees on their first order of 15 dollars or more when you download the doordash app and enter code blue wire that's five dollars off zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the doordash app in the app store and enter code blue wire don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. If you're like me, you hate the Eagles right now. But to make up for it every Sunday, you can bet on football. The wait is finally over because it's week three's over and the week four, football is back. Mid-season form. You might not be at a game this year. I wish I was, but we're not. Would love to be booing the birds at the game right now. We can still oh, yeah, be, baby. could still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, love the prop bets. Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. You need a drink over there, buddy? Yeah, that's <laughs> BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Seamus got so choked up by that ad read for Bet Online. I was so into it. And how much money that he won that he just he needed a drink. That that's how much we that's love. How, that's how much our I love sponsors. That's listen, the proof is in the pudding there. And to your point, Seamus, man, I'm glad football is back and I'm actually pleasantly surprised by the overall level of play throughout it's the great. NFL so far. Like i I tweeted about Pat Mahomes last night, like the that dude's unbelievable, and some of these teams have looked really good. Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, a bunch of quarterbacks coming in, playing just elite football right away. And, man, is it a bummer to watch the Eagles <laughs> compared to Playing all a different sport. Oh, my God. It's like watching an alien play in these other games, and then I come back and I'm watching, like, fucking Pop Warner football, or, or maybe even worse than that. But, you know, that's a, uh, a story for another day. Um, so one of the other big developments, I don't even know if I call it a development rumors, we'll say came out over the last week. I believe it originated from, is it from John Clark? Am I getting that right? Seamus? That's correct. That part of the reason that the Sixers organization wants to hire Mike D'Antoni is because they believe they can get James Harden, whether that's. Uh, a trade in the nearer term 
or in free agency, I believe, like three years from now. Uh, and let Play me just the come long out games. <laughs> let me just come out and say, if you're hiring a coach in 2020, based on the idea you might be able to get James Harden in free agency in 2023. When D'Antoni's like 69 years old. No, it'll be like 72, I think. I mean, right I think now. Be, uh, yeah. So James Harden will be, what, like 33 by the time that happens? And what the fuck is the... What is the logic behind that? I, like, I'll come out and say, I don't think there's a whole lot of actual substance to that rumor. I don't doubt that somebody told uh, Johnny Airport that. But, dude, come on. Like, if that is the sales pitch or if that is any part of the thinking of D'Antoni being the guy, what are you doing? The Philadelphia, number one, as we have seen over and over and over and over again, is not a premium free agent destination for basketball players. It, it just isn't. The only time that the Sixers have ever historically drawn players here that are like elite MVP caliber players is by drafting or trading for them. The free agents they have gotten, whether they're their own or guys coming from elsewhere, are guys that they overpaid or overvalued or both. So you don't have to look any further than last offseason. Ironically, the guy who's the GM of the team now is a great example of that. Elton Brand got overpaid compared to what he was worth post-Achilles tear. That's the guys they get. If you're talking about the real big fish, the LeBrons of the world, back in the day when they got Moses Malone, that was a trade. Like They don't get free agents that is not a thing that happens they are not la they are not miami they're they they just that's not who they are that's not their identity if you think if you're hiring d'antoni and you're going to trade one of joel Embiid or ben simmons like right now to get james harden you could sell me on that but they have not given any indication that that's what's going to happen it's like oh well this is like more of a long-term play what's what long-term play all those guys might leave by the time james harden is a free agent ben simmons might be sick of this shit joel Embiid might be sick of this shit what's the how is that the plan how is that even like someone thinks that's a smart idea to leak to a reporter like that that just boggled my mind when that uh that came down the pipeline so what are your thoughts on a potential Harden trade? Not the free agent signing like 30 years from now, but a, let's say, because it seems to be what people are saying, a package sent around Joel Embiid for James Harden. So I don't know if this is a controversial take. I think if you're trading someone for Harden, it should be Ben. Sure. And I know that the long-term ri- – and again – I. I think both of or at least I'm on the record. I'm pretty sure you are too, Seamus. I'm on the record that they have to try to figure it out with Ben and Joel until the wheels fall off, until they really find out that this is just fucked, that they have to commit to that to a certain degree. But I think if you're trading for Harden, that Joel has to be the guy that stays and that that's the one-two thing. Because, you know, Ben, I think... We've talked about it a little bit with the D'Antoni stuff. I think if you could convince him to be supercharged Sean Marion, 
that that would be awesome in a D'Antoni system, and it would be really awesome next to Harden. But I think the the problem of putting him next to Harden and in a D'Antoni system is that, you know, we saw how things ended up with Russell Westbrook as the the number two to Harden in Houston this year, and just having that one guy who the Lakers were basically just happy to let sit on the perimeter and shoot as much as he wanted and, you know, pack the paint against him. And Westbrook's a willing shooter. It's He's a bad shooter from beyond, like, 15 feet. But we'll he's at least up. a willing shooter. And that junked up everything that Houston wanted to do on offense. I think you run into the same problem, perhaps an even more pronounced problem with Ben, unless he suddenly decides that, you know, he's going to change how he plays basketball. And I just, I don't think that that can be something you bank on. On the other hand, if you trade Ben for Harden, for example, and Joel Embiid is the, it's like a, I don't even want to say the number two, but they're like 1A, 1B, depending on the matchup and the night with Harden is the better player than Joel, but you know, Joel is probably not going to want to hear that. That gives them a lot more flexibility. It gives them sort of a natural partnership in the sense that, in the same way that Joel had the partnership with Jimmy Butler, they can run pick and rolls, and Harden can get Joel easy baskets. When Harden needs to take possessions off, they can still dump it into Joel on the low block, and he can do his post stuff. When they want to spread the floor, Joel is, you know, he's not a great shooter. Uh, from three but he's a willing shooter and he's a guy that if they leave him open enough and he's just shooting a steady diet of open threes all game he's going to make a decent amount of them and that'll allow Harden to play in more of those you know four or five out style systems that D'Antoni likes to run I would be intrigued by how that would work now I would be worried I I think personality wise that's probably a bad fit because Harden kind of has ebbs and flows in terms of his engagement with the game. There's like, I don't know if he would be happy here at all on any level. Like he seems to like it in Houston, both for basketball reasons, but also like cultural reasons. Yeah. Like he likes it down there. So I don't know if he's going to feel that way about Philadelphia and about being the, the Joel Embiid partner, but I think I'm more intrigued by that than the Ben thing, just because I am at the point where I I can't sit here and look at Ben and say that I ever trust that he's going to shoot. If he was, or if I had that trust, I think it'd be different. And if I thought he would fully buy into more of a hybrid role, Maybe or like a, if he was truly committed to I'm going to be a rim runner and I'm going to play more like a a Blake Griffin, Amari Stoudemire, like that kind of power forward, it would be different. I just I don't see that in the cards. And I think it's it's too much asking. You're asking for him to change more than I think he's probably willing to. Yeah, he's never doing that shit. So I think we shouldn't get our hopes up that that's ever going to happen. Which, fine, he's free to do whatever he wants, but at the same time, I'd rather have James Harden at that point. Yeah, so, but where are you on that? Would you rather see Harden Simmons or Harden Embiid? If if you can only 
keep one of them to get him here in the this insane exercise where we pretend it's a thing that's going to happen. Definitely Harden and Bead, basically for the things that you said. In, in theory, if you can mold Ben Simmons into whatever player you wanted him to be, I think that's a scenario where I'd rather have James Harden, Ben Simmons, and MDA, where, again, we have these comps for Sean Marion or, you know, uh, kind of the role Robert Covington was playing, but to an umpteenth uh, exponential degree higher. But just in that mold of Sean Marion, uh, Amari Stoudemire hybrid, that would be awesome. He should be doing that, and he'd be, he'd be you know, he could be Amari Stoudemire offensively and Sean Marion defensively. That's a hell of a player. That's who he could be. That's who he should be. And if you have James Harden running the attack with that, and you have the classic surround them with shooters, I think that'd be an entertaining as hell team. Much more entertaining than we are right now. I'm not saying that team can is a true, true contender, but their ceiling's probably a little bit higher than Sixers are right now. And I'd rather watch that team for 82 games a night per year, per season, than the shit I'm watching right now. Right, like, and think about what that does for someone like Tobias Harris. Like, oh my God, him if, and MDA would be like light a finders ass. Hey, dude, he has a quick shot. Just shoot it. Right, D'Antoni's telling him, dude, you're shooting eight threes a game or whatever it is. Like, Harden runs the show. Joel Embiid helps him do so, and Harris is just waiting to bomb away. And and think of what that like. All the other guys who are quote unquote shooters on the roster, from Furkan Korkmaz to Shake Milton to you know further on down the line, even like Alec Burks is not a quote unquote shooter, but a guy who can make shots. Like those guys offensively benefit a ton in that scenario in a way that they don't if you know it, it's the Harden and Ben thing because I do think defenses still tilt to a certain degree with Ben on the floor. Now, again, I don't this is all Conjecture. just pretty pretty much nonsense and I don't think it's ever going to happen, but you know, I I do think that that would meaningfully change the outlook for the Sixers if they were able to turn Ben into a guy like that. And you know, I I have no idea how long this thing's going to stay together in Houston because you know, they've they've tried a bunch of different combinations around James Harden they've traded for lots of big name guys they've they bought into this like crazy ultra small ball style this year that seemed like it was going to work and then fell apart once they were up against a an actually elite team and their owner now seems to be if not the cheapest owner in the league he's certainly in the conversation with the way things have uh been trending here so maybe they decide they don't want to pay james harden all that money for the foreseeable future i believe he's going to make 40 plus million dollars so you know i don't know maybe there's a possibility i just i don't it doesn't seem realistic to me and uh, i i think there's very little chance that they're getting him to come here as a free agent we'll put it that way yeah i'd have to agree but It'd be fun from a chaos perspective. I'd love to be talking about it on this podcast and writing about it. Oh yeah, absolutely. And um, it we wouldn't have to. It'd be you know this team needs some sort of new life. It's probably not going to come in the shape of James Harden, but we've been having the same conversations about this team for years now. Like it's from the top on down, the same front office stuff. 
the same coaching stuff with Brett, the same do Ben and Joel fit together. And, you know, some of the pieces have changed around that, but some sort of change to the dynamic needs to happen, whether that's they get a big time guard, they unveil a totally new system. Maybe that's D'Antoni. They're, we need something. I'm, I'm, I'm fucking dying here. And <laughs> we're doing our best. If we're having the same always... conversation 12, 13, 10, whatever months from now, I, I don't know how we're going to get through it. Yeah, I, I think we'll probably both go insane. But for both our sakes and probably. for the sake of all our wonderful listeners go. out there, let's hope that's... Uh, that's not the case. Uh, last thing before we get going, since we were talking about luring free agents in 2023, uh, there was a free agent last summer who was playing for the Sixers last season who now happens to be in the NBA Finals, and that is one Jimmy. My name's literally Jimmy Butler. Um, Miami, I would say, is probably the I think pretty easily the surprise of the NBA playoffs. You think? Certainly people thought they were, you know, a credible threat in the East, but certainly not to the degree that they, they didn't, they kind of rolled through the playoffs. Like I, they, the Boston series was tighter than the result probably says, but they pretty easily got to the NBA finals. And that was not something you or I expected when we talked about, I think the last time we t- really talked about the Heat, Seamus, was when we did the podcast midseason where we ranked the potential playoff opponents or like how scared we were yeah. for the Sixers to play them. And Miami was a – I think we ultimately settled on the idea that they were a high-variance team because of their shooters. And yeah. that's not really what they turned out to be because defensively they have been absolute nails – They've had Butler leading the way in crunch time, but they've gotten great contributions from Tyler Hero, from Goran Dragic, and you know Bam Adebayo, you could pretty much argue, I would say, that he's been their best and most important player in the playoffs for what he's given them at both ends of the floor. So here's my question to you. Are you rooting for Jimmy Butler or against Jimmy Butler? Oh, certainly for... You obviously have to hate the Lakers. I was a big LeBron guy. I hated that he went to the Lakers. Uh, I loved Jimmy during the playoff run last year. I wish the team kept him. I think there was a scenario where they could have kept him. Where if I had to, I would have picked, you know, Jimmy over Ben if we're if that was the you know the ultimatum on the table. And the the more Jimmy does well, and if the more he wins, the bigger indictment of the Sixers front office it is and a bigger embarrassment it is for the franchise. And I want this franchise to be embarrassed and ashamed on every possible level. It seems to me that that's the overriding sentiment. That's I, the I Lakers that, too, come on. Yeah, and, and like I'm the, I come from like my fandom is so long ago now that like if you're asking me big picture, I would have always assumed that it would have been you know, fuck the Lakers. Um, but I I do think there's still an undercurrent of jealousy with the Jimmy stuff. You know, people really slammed him personally last summer. Retirement. The, all the, the Jimmy Butler retirement jokes and, and what have you. And I'm sure there are still people that are holding on to that. But yeah, I, I think the overwhelming consensus right now from what I can see is that 
people want there to be a reckoning for the Sixers. And the best way for that to happen is if the guy that they couldn't close a deal on or wouldn't close a deal on, depending on who you ask, uh, wins a, a title. I, I think the embarrassment factor has already been taken to a place that they cannot run from how badly they screwed up last summer. Whether that plays out with their hirings and firings is another story. But, you know, the guy made the finals in year one after leaving there and after going to a situation that pretty much nobody expected him to win in the short term. Like they, It was like, yeah, they'll be a nice team and Jimmy will get to be the guy. But I don't think there was anybody that expected this except for maybe Pat Jimmy, Pat Riley and Jimmy will both tell you that that's what they believed. I don't even know if in their heart of hearts they would they would say they thought a finals run was going to happen in year one. But, you know, credit to them. I, I think the thing that I underrated the most about that scenario was probably Eric Spolstra. I think he once again has shown with a you know a a talented team in place with a legitimate elite player on the roster that he is I, i don't think i'd call him the best coach in the league but he's right up there near the very top like he certainly outcoached brad stevens who a lot of people love he made budenholzer look like a fucking clown like he tends to in the playoffs and He's really, really good, and he is a difference maker on top of some of the other guys. The other thing, too, and I said this, I think, when the trade was made between Memphis and Miami midseason, that Jay Crowder just kind of got thrown in there. That was like a, a salary thing, and that was part of why the Grizzlies were able to get Justice Winslow in that Iguodala trade. Why, like, why do you give away playoff type contributors for fucking free like what are you doing what why do teams do this every year and it always seems like the the rileys of the world the guys who are like really paying attention they always seem to come up with these guys and they're getting them as throw-ins in deals where they're not the headliners of the trade like they traded for Iguodala. they signed him to an extension after they got him and for whatever reason <laughs> Miami was like, yeah, can we get Jay Crowder too? And now we have like another wing athlete who can defend big wings like the LeBron types of the world. And Jay Crowder has like shot the shit out of the ball in the playoffs. Why do GMs do this? I don't get it. It's like the most bewildering thing that happens every single year. If the Heat win, we have to start talking about Eric Spolster as one of the best coaches of all time. Not He's like the really best, good. but like if he beats LeBron, after all the talk of him being LeBron's water boy and how they should have replaced him and so on and so forth, how anyone could coach LeBron, I don't think there's a coach or person in the league that knows what LeBron James does well and what he doesn't do well. Not that there's many things he doesn't do well, as much as Eric Spolster. So if he's able to go and take this team... T- full 2004 piston style against the player many consider the best of all time as a team that was written off as a retirement center to begin the season i mean that guy's done it all 
Yeah, I think the problem is that Anthony Davis is probably going to be the best player in this series. And that, I say that as someone who just, you know, sung the praises of Bam Adebayo. He has, Anthony Davis has been fucking ridiculous in these playoffs. Do we think and he wins as, finals MVP if the Lakers win? I think so. I think yeah, the yeah. the series the Lakers win more often than not is going to end with Anthony Davis being the best player. Uh Obviously, that's going to come with all kinds of insane takes because of the the constant LeBron Jordan arguments and what have you. But I just think that there's a there's a much better, there's a clearer path with Davis leading the way than LeBron, and like that's fine. LeBron ultimately cares about the individual stuff, but these guys want to win, and I think he you've seen that in a lot of the big moments he's been okay with. AD being that guy like LeBron has been no less impactful as an all-around force in these playoffs than really he's ever been but Anthony Davis is uniquely equipped to beat a lot of these matchups by himself so you know I think he's probably the likely finals MVP I think LeBron will probably be fine with that as long as his team comes away the winner I just think he's so hard to to deal with like this the stuff that Miami has done to get here the zone defense that we thought was like a Sixers specific problem they couldn't solve has turned out to fuck up every team that they played in the playoffs because it's been so good I don't think they're going to be able to get away with that as much as they have against the Lakers because they can just hit uh, AD at like the free throw line and he'll make jumper after jumper after jumper on them and he also is like not at a disadvantage going up against Bam. So, you know, we'll see. I just I think the the Heat have a lot more bodies to throw at LeBron. They can put Iggy on him. They can put Crowder on him. They can even they'll probably use Bam Adebayo on LeBron, depending on you know how the lineups shake out at different times. But I think LeBron will be content to to play make and you know focus a lot of his attention on defense, where Davis gets to wear the the hero's crown on offense, but we'll see. The only scenario I can see where LeBron were to win finals MVP, I guess, is if it goes seven games and he goes, you know, full 2012 game six, 2016 game seven in that final game in the series. Yeah, and look, I say all this, there is a distinct possibility that LeBron has been you know, saving a few bullets for the finals Absolutely. because he knows how much this all means for his legacy. And he is very conscious of all that stuff. So maybe he comes out and he's like the world destroying LeBron and that's how this plays out. But I I don't think that that's been his MO all season. I think he's served a different role on this team. I don't remember if he ended up leading the league in assists, but he was like out front for a lot of the season. And I think that he's legitimately content to you know be in more of that playmaking role and having the rest of these guys, you know, especially Anthony Davis leading the way. So, uh I'm intrigued by this matchup. I am <laughs> I will laugh really hard if somehow Jimmy Butler is able to lead that team to a title and really stick it in the eye of the Sixers and the front office and what have you. But uh, I will be sad when basketball is done. Uh, I'm just glad that the NFL hasn't completely fallen apart yet, even though there are some positive COVID tests that have 
started coming in. Hopefully that doesn't fuck everything up. Fingers crossed. <laughs> All right. Well, we will. I don't know when the next time we'll talk is Seamus. Could be as soon as later this week. If hires are made, might be next week. We'll see. But uh, until then, thank you everybody for listening. If you haven't already, hit us with some subscribes, some five star ratings, and reviews. As always, stay safe, wear your masks, and we'll catch you next time. Loser of the week, the entire Philadelphia Eagles. All right, see you, buddy. Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Blending the smooth, creamy nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York.